Welcome to Where's the Movement podcast. We will introduce you to people who have been a part of movements of God's Spirit on the earth, past and present, to catalyze you to a place of action as a Jesus follower in fulfilling the Great Commission, so that God will receive His maximum glory on the earth. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome to the second episode of Where's the Movement, YWAM Lancaster's podcast. We are hungry to know where is God moving right now? What is going on on the earth, in our region, in our nation, and in the nations? If you haven't listened to our pilot episode, I would encourage you to go ahead and give that a listen. In that episode, we share the story of how God birthed the podcast, Where's the Movement, and what you can expect in the episodes going forward. We plan to release episodes monthly, so keep your eyes peeled. You won't want to miss them. They're pretty incredible what we have lined up so far. But let's go ahead and dive into this month's episode. I'm your show host, Becca, and I'm super excited about today. And what you're going to be listening to is pretty incredible. You're going to want to listen to the whole thing. It's It will impart something incredible to your life. So I'm going to give you some context. So back in the spring, YWAM Lancaster had the honor of hosting some very good friends of ours, David and Kathleen Tabor. For three days, they shared with our staff fascinating stories and wisdom and insight from their decades of living on the international mission field. This incredible couple, they have a radical story of salvation from their early years of being married. They had an encounter with a love of God that changed their lives and launched them onto the international mission field where they and their four children pioneered a movement in Papua New Guinea. And in this episode, I know you will be encouraged by hearing the stories of God's radical provision, faithfulness, and generosity over their lives. And I hope you'll be challenged by David and Kathleen's commitment to walking in obedience, to do whatever God said and go wherever God directed whenever he directed them, regardless of the uncertainty and no matter how crazy it seemed. You're going to hear some crazy stories, but they continued to be obedient. They never tried to just rise to the top in ministry for the sake of being seen by man. I think that's what I loved about them most is they walked in humility and they walked in obedience and they never tried to be seen or noticed or promoted themselves. They knew who was leading them and guiding them and directed them and God used them to start a movement in P&G. There's lasting fruit that we hear about today that's because of their investment in the nation and then the people of that nation. God used them because they trusted him and said yes every step of the way. I really hope you get something incredible that God plants a seed in your heart through this episode. All right, without further ado, enjoy the episode. Okay, we are going to transition this morning. We, we kind of entered our time yesterday um, uh, in Australia. We ended up being in Australia four years, um, and we're going to transition into kind of our, our life and, and time we had in Papua New Guinea. Um, we were involved... Uh, on staff in Australia at this particular time, not on a discipleship training school staff, but um, just staff just serving. Uh, and there was a young man that was doing the DTS. Uh, he had been a, a missionary in Papua New Guinea, had come back to do uh, a discipleship training school. And uh, he was telling stories about Papua New Guinea. And uh, as I told, as I heard him tell the stories of uh, rascals, they call them their criminals, uh, breaking into their compound and stealing their cars. And he told a lot of war stories, horror stories about the general climate in Papua New Guinea. 
and it scared the bejeebies out of me because I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I'm a, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. Uh, and I'm not going out looking for trouble. I don't feel like I'm a brave sort of person. And I thought there's no way God can send me to Africa first. I am never going to go to Papua New Guinea. Never going to go there. That No way. I, I'm not going to put myself in that place, and particularly not going to put my wife and children in that position. Um, and uh, I, learned, I learned after this, uh, never say never. Uh, never say never to two people. God first and your spouse second. All right? Uh, now, some of you don't have spouses, but just remember that when you do have, never say never. Okay, never say never. Uh, anyway, um, we were we were in Brisbane uh, working there. We had did participated in the run of faith. It ended up in a big crusade in Brisbane. And at the time I mentioned yesterday, we were planning on leaving there and going to Spain and uh, joining YWAM in Spain. Uh, and God just closed the doors. Our kids were signed out of school. Everything was ready to go, and the doors just slam shut and there was there was confusion uh for us but as we waited on the lord we knew that he had you know when he closes a door the cliche is he always opens another he does if if the door he closed is one he closed and not one you closed all right so if he closes a door then he's going to open another one it was shortly after that that Tom Hallis, the director of YWAM in Australia at the time, contacted us, and he said, uh, the Anastasis, the MV Anastasis, YWAM's uh, mercy ship, uh, was coming to New Zealand on its first voyage, and the very first trip that they want to take is to Papua New Guinea. And uh, Tom and Kalafi Mawala and Dean Sherman had pioneered Youth with the Mission in the early 70s, in Papua New Guinea. They were there, not all three of them, but they were there, at least two of them, Kalafi and Tom, for two or three years. And then they had left. So Tom said, would you come down to back to Goulburn? Uh, and, uh, quite honestly, we thought he was asking us to come back to Egypt. But, uh, and do lineup work for the Anastasis. I, I had the biggest ship I'd ever been on was a 12-foot aluminum rowboat. You know, I, I'm not a ship person. Even looking at ship movies makes me seasick. It's like, no, I, you know. But anyway, we felt like God had opened the door to go back to Goldburn. Uh, so we did. We packed up our kids, went back to Goldburn, and I started doing lineup work to get the MB Anastasis uh, into Papua New Guinea. So I traveled to Papua New Guinea, my first maiden voyage. Tom went with me, introduced me around to a lot of people that he had known. Uh, he left, and then I started doing work. I contacted government agencies, the maritime people, the prime minister's office. I went and visited, I don't know how many hundreds of churches in the nation in the two-week time I was there, and started to set up this, this whole ship coming to Papua New Guinea. Great time. Open doors, the government was excited, uh, they gave us free berthing, uh, uh, you know, everything was, was waived as far as uh, any kind of fees or licenses or whatever, and I went back to Goldburn with, you know, really good news, and uh, 
kept working there, corresponded with the ship, told them what was happening, everything was working. Uh, I was able to fly to New Zealand and be on the Anastasis for three or four days. And uh, back to Papua New Guinea on, a, on the second trip. Uh, but just prior to the, the second trip, uh, there were cyclones uh, in, the, in the islands, Tonga, Fiji, Samoa, all three were suffered uh, quite a bit of damage with, with, uh, with cyclones. Um, and so the ship said, this is what we are designed for, is Mercy Ministries. And so they need help in the islands. We're not going to be able to come to Papua New Guinea. We're going to go to the island, which was right. It was the right thing. That's what they were for. Uh, and so I had to go back to Papua New Guinea and cancel everything. And that was a hard trip. It was a very difficult time to go back and tell all these people that were really, really excited about this ship coming uh, that, you know, guess what? It's not coming now. Uh, and so I did that. I traveled to the highlands in Papua New Guinea to uh, a SIL, Summer Institute of Linguistics, better known as Wycliffe Bible Translators. One of their largest facilities in the world is in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. And uh, I traveled there with Kalafi Mawala, who was a speaker at a tertiary Christian fellowship camp at Easter time. This is 1983. And uh, we traveled there. He shared. We did our thing. Uh, we went to an Easter service at the SIL chapel that Sunday. Um, the place was packed. Uh, I got there, and there was a bench, and there was just enough space for me to sit in. And so I sat down on this bench, getting ready for the service, and uh, in walks this little village, uh, little village mama. Uh, Jeff maybe will explain a little bit later. Uh, she was carrying a billum, which is a string bag, which they carry everything in from their babies to their sweet potatoes to their pigs. to It's just a big, it can be a big bag, and they, they put the strap over the head and the bag hangs down the back. And uh, it's, it's quite interesting uh, to see all the uses for this string bag. It's called a billum. And I was sitting on the bench right at the edge, and this lady came in, and she sat down on this much of that bench, and she scooted me over, and there she sat. And I thought, well, all right, we can make room. And so anyway, I, I share that because God spoke to me during that service in a, in a way that I don't know that I've ever been spoken to before. Uh, it's just short of his audible voice. He said, David, I want you to come back to Papua New Guinea full-time with your wife and your kids. And you know what? It was so loud and clear, I forgot about all the horror stories that I'd heard. They weren't even a part of the equation. Didn't, didn't, didn't even remember them at the time. I just said, Lord, if that's what you want. And I started crying. I mean, I was just, <laughs> and this <laughs> poor little old village mama, she thought I had gone um, long, long, is what they would say there, crazy. This, this blow, white man, I'm long, long through ya. You know, he's just like, what? And she kind of <laughs> scooted away from me, like, I don't want to get what he's got. Anyway, uh, got home, back to, back to uh, Goldburn shared with Kathleen what I felt God had really spoken to me. It was a, a, a big shock to her. Uh, well, it was a big shock to me, too. But anyway, 
we went through the 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 decision making process and should we or shouldn't we uh is it what god is saying uh i felt really convinced that it was kathleen she said i just need to have a word i need to know for sure uh and i'll let her kind of tell her part of the story but anyway uh in uh sep no october of 1983 we took a summer of service team to Papua new guinea um December, you understand November, December is summertime there. Uh, so it was a summer of service in December. Um, and uh, we ended up uh, flying into Port Moresby with a team. We had about 30 young people with us. And uh, we did our orientation in Port Moresby, sent all the teams out. And then uh, Kathleen and I and the kids uh, went to lay. Uh, Kathleen and the kids went to lay ahead of me a day because I had to send other teams out. Uh, and just a, a real quick, a real quick sideline. Uh, I had met several people in my previous trips there, and one of the young men was a single. Uh, he was from a Swiss missionary family, um, and I had met him in one of my trips. And he was a single accountant for the Morobi government, provincial government. And uh, he said, I want you to come. You, you and Kathleen and the kids can stay in my, I have a, a large three-bedroom apartment, and you can come and stay with me. Um, and so uh, it was two days before Christmas, and all through the house, there was nothing stirring, guaranteed, man. We had, we had our suitcases, but we had no Christmas, all right? And uh, our oldest daughter, Lisa, is a... Uh, I want to say drama queen, but I don't want to, but she is pretty dramatic. And, uh, you know, she's, uh, she was really into the Waltons and uh, the Queen of England. I mean, a lot of, you know, nostalgia, tradition was a big thing for her. And she was so upset that we were going to a place where, probably any, you just don't have Christmas trees. All right? You just don't have Christmas trees. Um, and And she... Christmas to her, the tree, the lights, the, you know, all of that. Some of you may be relating. That really is a big deal. Uh, and so we arrived at this home of this young Swiss missionary son. The Swiss mission was in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. All right. So we arrive at his, uh, Kathleen and the kids arrive at his home. They walked in his living room and guess what he has. A Christmas tree. Because in the highlands, they have Norfolk pine, which is a type of an evergreen tree. And guess what else? He had no electric lights. He had candles. Her nostalgic, traditional Walton's heart just went, But you know what it was? It was God's grace to a, a family and four young kids that needed Christmas. I mean, we were in a foreign country. You think it's hot here? It was really hot. And, and we had come from Goulburn, and guess what? Goulburn is not really hot. It's in Australia, but it's not really a hot place. Anyway, it just melted her heart. 
And so Kathleen was able to go out with the kids and buy some Christmas presents. And we had our first Christmas in Papua New Guinea, uh, which was pretty special. Sorry, these stories are taking me back. <laughs> I just, again, please remember, I'm sharing this for my generations. And so what I'm sharing, I love to have you hear the stories, but I'm, I want to leave some things that are going to help them trans transfer. Because the first generation, we had to lay foundations. But Jeff and Megan and our kids all have taken our faith beyond our, where we've come from. They're doing greater things than we ever did. And their generation, you're helping train. And we're do they're doing greater things than the, than the two generations before them. And so I want to leave this for my generations. <laughs> but this... This, if you guys are fitting in so amazingly with what God's asked me to share. And then they sent us last night to the Sight and Sound uh, movie of David, and it's going to fit right in again. In Luke 22, verse 7, it says, For one who is greater, the one who reclines at the table, or the master, is not the, or is it the one who serves? Who is greater? The guy who oversees all the food and the, or the one who served the food. And this is Jesus talking. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm in your midst as the one who serves. That's God himself. Yeah. God himself says, but I'm the one who serves. And that's what he just told you the story. He had no idea he was going to share this this morning. Okay. And then it goes on down. To verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon Peter, listen. Satan has asked excessively that all of you be given up to him. Out of the, He wants you out of the power and the keeping of God. There are times when you're going to feel that you've been taken out of the power and the keeping of God. And that he might sift all of you like grain. But I've prayed excessively for you that your own faith may not fail you and when you yourself have turned again you strengthen and establish the brethren so god didn't put you through those times to show you what a failure you are he's trying to train you so you can strengthen the next group i thank god i've had two of the most amazing talks with my granddaughter-in-laws they're kids, raising kids. And I can look old, but they know my heart. And I just thank God for God. It was fun talking to you guys about India. It's just fun to go back and, and talk with those that are more of our stage, what we walked through in those early years and nations pioneering. I arrived in Bangladesh one day. And I was met. I didn't know who was meeting me. We, we didn't, in those days, we didn't have cell phones. We'd sent a message ahead asking them, please to pick me up at the airport. I'd gone from India to Bangladesh. I was going to go on to Hong Kong. I didn't know if anybody even got the message. And I'm standing in Bangladesh. I've never been there before. I look up, and here comes this really tall white check. I think, oh, good. The, the Americans got the message. And sure enough, this who made the 
I mean, the Bengalis came out to here. And she strode to the airport and said, hi, I'm so-and-so. I said, I know, I'm so glad to see you. We went back to her place, and it was lovely. She lived in this, and, ooh, that ministry took care of Muslim widows and orphans. And especially when they had their babies, because they, they didn't want any man. Being a doctor, he didn't care if he's black, white, red, yellow. They didn't care. They didn't want him near them. And so these lovely American and the other girl, Swiss, went in and took care of these widows and orphans. And of all my times of seeing Michigan missions, that probably impacted me about as much as anything. Watching those people serve those precious widows and orphans and the battle that was going on in that field. Anyway, that 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 afternoon they took me to the markets because I was the seamstress a lot in those days. And so we go to this huge open market, and it's wonderful it's during Ramadan season. And I was looking at the fabric, and this guy came up from behind me and grabbed my backside. Man, I wheeled around. You remember I'm an American, please. I was always one. I was rather outspoken. I am outspoken. I turned around and I said, How dare you do that to me? In Jesus' name, you keep your hands to yourself. Well, just then, his friends came up and they whisked him out of that market quick. And I turned to the crowd and I said, This is your Ramadan season. It's supposed to mark you as holy. How dare you do that to me in Jesus' name? I belong to God. Don't you touch me. You're endangering yourself. And my two friends hauled me out of there. And we got back in this little... And they said, don't ever speak like that. I said, I'm sorry. But when you put me in that situation, I'm not your friend. I'm God's girl. And I'm going to tell you what, I always want to be his first. But I think it's so important to remember that there's times when God gives you over to let you get tested. And I'm going to tell you later about a time like that in my own life, where the testing was so great, it, it took everything I've got. No, it took me giving up everything I got to be nothing but, but at God's feet. And when you reach that point, don't take your eyes off God. He's all you've got, and that's the best, happiest place to be. And I, I love I love what Luke was saying. I'm in your midst as one who serves. And God's serving you at that time. Let him. Isaiah 55 has got almost exactly the same. I love it. Wait and listen. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price but it says simply for the self-surrender that accepts the blessing that's what salvation is versus church it's the self-surrender that accepts the blessing you can't get to heaven because you're a good worker you get to heaven because he's a good god don't mix them up and it's going to take service don't be embarrassed to get to serve to me is such a godsend. Watching that movie, David, yesterday, such a reminder. Thank God. I mean, we were given incredible opportunities to minister to prime ministers, to leaders. Thank God for what we did. But thank God 
I didn't get raised to many, any higher. Thank God for God's grace to let me serve. Because it protects your heart from many things that you... I wasn't brought up a Christian. And I watch what many of these guys today are going through. And they battle hard to get where they are. But you don't battle to get great. You bat battle to get in God. <laughs> Reserve your battle for the Spirit. I think that's a hallmark of Youth with a Mission is our is is our just DNA of, of servanthood, of, of a servant heart, just as Cardell was saying this morning. Uh, we're facilitating this, but we're not putting out any big banners. This is not a big YWAM show. This is this is something that God wants the body to be involved in, but we want to. We're called to facilitate things like this. We're called to to do exactly that. Um, when we arrived in Papua New Guinea, um, you know, the questions were, "Oh, wow, are you going to start a DTS right away? Are you going to, you know, are you going to do a school of evangelism? Are you going to plant churches?" And uh, we said, "No, we we came here not to." do we came here just to be we came here just to uh just to serve we we want to we want to know uh who we who 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 we're with you know we don't we don't have any great plans other than god told us to come i remember going around and talking to different pastors on some of my trips up there and one particular pastor i won't mention the denomination um he said, uh, we don't want you here. Uh, we just assume you didn't come, and I'm going to tell other people uh, in, my, in my parish, in my church, that we are not welcoming youth with a mission here. Um, that was five years later, we were living in his house. He went on vacation, and he called me, and he said, my house is going to be vacant for three months. Do you need another place for people? And uh, just so happened, funny how these little coincidences happen, we needed a place. So we, we started out by just getting to know people. Uh, we visited our neighbors. We visited churches. Two particular churches really came alongside us. That's the Assemblies of God and the Foursquare Church in Lay uh, came alongside, helped us do different outreaches. We just went to settlements and villages. Uh, we had our summer service team there to start with. Um, and uh, we went, you know, just low-key, doing little song and dances, you know, the typical YWAM outreaches. Um, we got to know uh, a lot of people that way, a lot of just grassroots people. We didn't go to the government. We didn't ask for any governmental favors to buy a house or whatever. Uh, we didn't start our first discipleship training school for three years uh, because we just felt like we had to We had to earn a place in the community. We had to uh, not just come in with our splash because there's a whole culture in Papua New Guinea. It's called the cargo culture uh, where, uh, and it's happened and it probably still happens where Churches or groups will come in with a lot of money and they buy vehicles, they buy property, and everybody starts gravitating to them because they want some of the booty. <laughs> they want some of the property. They want more, more, more. They want physical more. Uh, and the whole spiritual aspect is put 
later on, if ever later on. Um, and so we just, we just became a part of the community, traveled around the nation and got to know different pastors. Uh, and just, we just existed. We didn't do anything great or grandeur for the first two or three years. Uh, we lived with, we lived with this young man for several months. I'd like to make one, one mention. I lived there 14 years. I lived there. It, it was amazing. I never slept one night through all night because the rascals. And this man who tells you what a chicken he was, he was up in the settlement area right outside our house for, I think it was eight of those years, because men would be beating their wives or girls would be being raped. And he'd go up in the settlement in the midst of all the drama and stand there and protect those gals. And many times he got the young men in our ministry up. And one night they were down running... And that's another story here. But they'd go out in the boxers, and, and the guys would be running up the street from people trying to kill them. Now, we're not talking, we're talking in the middle of tribal wars, spears, guns, knives, the settlement being burned down on one, and, and this guy would be leading the troops. So I want to tell you that lest you think, he, he talks about what a chicken he was, but I thank God for his involvement, especially with moms and, and the children. And I'm telling that more for my own family. There's, there's, uh, we could, we could go for three weeks telling stories, and and where do, where do you start? Where do you begin? Um, couple, a couple things that happened in our first few years that I think are are important, and it, and it's, uh, I guess I'm like Luke. I'm repeating the same thing. When God says, when God says, you obey. Regardless of what all the circumstances, never say, God, we can't afford it. Don't go there. Because God's not limited by your finite mind, all right? He's an infinite God, and, and uh, we saw him time after time, and not just in Papua New Guinea, but in our whole career up until today, providing, and we have never once said, God, we don't have the money. Don't, don't go there. Because he has it. If you're doing what he wants you to do, he has it. Uh, but the, the, whole, the whole teaching, and I, I, I don't know whether you've heard it, or, but I, I know we heard it initially from Lauren back in the way back then. Uh, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Do not deny that, you know, small beginnings. That's where we all need to start. Don't start at the top and try to work yourself higher, be a servant, and let God bring you up. Um, two things. We had no vehicle. We eventually moved out of this apartment into a three-bedroom apartment. After the summer service was over, uh, we had two Australians that stayed on with us, two singles, a, a, a young lady by the name of Carrie and a young man by the name of Luke stayed with us on staff. So there was... There was Luke, but not the Luke that you know, and uh, Carrie, our four kids, Kathleen and I, and we rented this four-bedroom apartment. Uh, Carrie wrote her mother, who was a very worrisome Australian mother, concerned about her being in Papua New Guinea, and Carrie says, Mom, we have a lovely four-bedroom apartment. It's right on the main highway. It's close to the markets, and it's close to the airport. Sounds great, doesn't it? 
Sounds like, man, that's an ideal place. You can walk to the markets. You can walk to the airport. You're on a main drag for buses and, you know, whatever. Our apartment was upstairs. The downstairs was a Cummings diesel retail store. The back part of it was a Cummings diesel engine repair shop. The building to, now, now the building to this side was, uh, I don't even know what they manufactured, but they ran a diesel generator from 7 in the morning till 5 at night. A big diesel generator. All right. The airport was right behind us. And so all day long, we had the taking offs and the coming downs of airplanes, plus an aircraft maintenance shop who, when they test an aircraft after they've done their 100-hour inspection, they'll turn it on full bore with the brakes on tied to the ground and run it for hours. All right. So all during the day, now the main drag was a main drag. The market was an outdoor market that is filled with thousands of people. There's no running water. There are minimal, uh, I don't even want to say porta potties, but minimal toileting facilities. Uh, it was a zoo, all right, a human zoo. Uh, and so all during the day, for us just to sit and talk, we were, hey, what's going on? You know, we were shouting, literally. You had to. If you got a phone call, you could hardly hear the phone ring. But that was home. That was, I mean, it was the YWAM base. It was, a, oh yeah, trucks, big trucks, back and forth all day long. I mean, it was crazy. But at 5 o'clock at night, they shut the generator off. The traffic subsided. The market closed. The aircraft maintenance people shut down. There were not as many flights, and we didn't have to yell anymore. It was really nice. <laughs> so, but we were there. We had basically no support, uh, Kathleen and I. No, uh, you no gotta, support. No. You got uh, to remember, we came out of the Catholic Church. We joined a Protestant mission organization. You got to know that we... In those days, the church is not like it is today. There was no interdenominational anything. And the Pentecostals versus the Catholics, that was really, they were horrified. So we had no support. We left for PNG with no support. Are you getting the picture? Our parents didn't even send money. Nobody sent us money. So when we say we live by faith, Folks, we live by faith. Now go ahead. So one night, particular night, we were sat down to dinner, and uh, the table was set. Uh, there was the six of us, Luke and Carrie. The table was set, and there was absolutely no food on the table. No food in the house. No food on the table. Yeah, because there was no food in the house. And uh, so we sat down, and we said, Lord... Provide. And we tried to be pretty nonchalant for our poor babies who were pretty young at that time. Our oldest was only 11. Yeah, I don't know. I had to. F 13. I'd have to do my math. They were to pretty out. young. And John was only like four, five. So. So we're sitting there and there is a knock on the door. Knock, knock, knock. We prayed like Now I remember minutes. we're in an upstairs apartment uh, and we had quite a large veranda. So we walked out to the door there and there stood a 
gentleman whom we had not met yet. Uh, he was a Papua New Guinean Chinese. There's a lot of Chinese in Papua New Guinea, have been for 100 years or more. Uh, and he said, uh, I brought some food, and I didn't know whether you guys needed any. <laughs> he said, I brought a bag of white bait. And he had this large bag of, it looked like tapioca pudding. Now, white bait is a teeny little fish, about this long. And they're totally white, except you can see the, like the, the blood vein running from their head to their back. There's just one little black stripe. But he had millions of them. They catch them with a net. And they only, they only hatch a certain time of the year in a, local, in a river there. And they catch them with the net. And here's this whole bag of mush. And it was called white bait. And he said, I just thought maybe you guys would like this or would, you know, need it. And he had a bag of pumpkin tips, uh, greens, uh, vegetables, and a bag of rice. And he said, do you guys need it? <laughs> you have no idea how we need this. Kathleen says, how do you cook it? He says, well, you, you, you put it in flour, and you, it's, it's like a salmon patty or a crab cake when it's cooked. It's really, really good, uh, if, if you don't mind looking at fish eyes and things. But they're really small, you know. So anyway, Kathleen says, well, just so happens we have some flour, we got a little bit of oil, and we have some ketchup. And we're talking to so, we so he gave them to us. He left, and we cooked white bait, pumpkin tips, which are leaves off of a, a squash plant, if you will. They call them pumpkin there, and rice. And it was the most marvelous dinner that we've ever had because we were really, we were really rejoicing that we really got to eat. And uh, but you know, yeah. God said. We also, Carlos, we had no vehicle. The young man that we were staying with, as I said, worked for the provincial government, so they provided him with a car. He had a Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi Bushi, van, eight-passenger van, um, and he had uh, decked it all out. He had put a, a, a special paint job on it, and it had mag wheels and uh he had all sorts of little gizmos he had put in the interior. I mean, it was, everybody knew it around town as Mark's van. Uh, and uh, he said, you guys can drive this. Uh, he said, I really don't need it. And we drove it for a couple of weeks, and I just felt, you know, this isn't right. Uh, and so I said, Mark, it really isn't right that we continue to drive your van. Uh, would you sell it to us? And he said, yeah, I'll sell it to you. And I said, how much do you want for it? He said, I want 3,800 kina. At the time, equivalent to dollar, the U.S. dollar, not exactly, but for the sake of the story, 3,800 kina. Well, we didn't have a kina to put toward a van. So we started praying, God, provide for this van. We, we really need to have a vehicle. I mean, there were eight of us. There were six of us, and Luke and Carrie, we filled up the van already. Um, and we started praying about this van and uh, prayed, I don't know how long, a couple weeks, I suppose. Uh, and then we got a check in the mail from Australia. To this day, we have no idea who it was from. Guess how much it was for when it was converted to dollars, or to Kina? 
$3,840 because we needed 40 kina to put gas in it. Exactly, you guys, exactly to the Toya, what we needed to buy the van and fill it with gas. And, and you know, it, it took me back to the days of, of the stories that the YWAMers from Montreal told about $10 ended up in our cup of sugar, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, we had a lot of fun things happen with our kids who went to a school called Lake Christian Academy. How many of you know what the PACE system is? It's, it's books, it's missionaries, you go buy a book. I don't know, my, Megan can tell you the name of the kids in there. She probably remembers you. I remember Spot, Dick, and Jane when I grew up. Well, they, she has names for all of those. But anyway, uh, the kids went to that school, but there were some deficiencies. We had no idea, you know, as our kids got into high school, uh, how is it going to work? Uh, our daughter, Lisa, was really struggling with chemistry reading it out of a book without a lab or a teacher or anything. Uh, she was just, she was, she was beside herself, and she was a straight-A sort of student. If she misspelled a word, it was like the end of the world. Uh, and she was really struggling. Um, this is a, a short time later. We hosted a Crossroads DTS team from Canberra. Uh, they came up to lay. Uh, I think there were about six of them. They were all our age, um, and we were just sitting sitting in our lounge room talking to them and kind of giving them an orientation. And Lisa came out with her book, and she said, I'm just really struggling with this chemistry. And this one man said, chemistry? He said, uh, what's your problem with chemistry? And she said, yada, yada, whatever. And he said, well, I'm a chemistry professor from Colorado University. Maybe I can help you. You know what, it, and, and I don't understand chemistry, but there were just some basic fundamentals he gave her, and she sailed through chemistry. Now, from, from us from Colorado in Papua New Guinea, this man from Colorado through Australia to Papua New Guinea just to help our daughter with her chemistry. Our son was struggling with geometry when he got into that. And there just happened to be a Canadian math teacher that we befriended who said, oh, well, I can help Jordan with his geometry. And time after time after time after time, God provided the things that what I got in, in, in that chapter in Matthew, will I not take care of you? I take care of the birds of the air. Look at Solomon and all of his glory, you know, the lilies of the field, all of this came to pass time after time after time after time. Uh, particularly in our in our years in Papua New Guinea, uh, it just it was just an amazing time of provision for us. Our first discipleship training school, uh, we had great plans for it. We had three students: a New Zealander female and two Papua New Guinea female. That was our first DTS. That's the team that Kathleen took to China that she was telling you about yesterday. Um, we, uh, the, the gal from New Zealand stayed on with us for a while. The two Papua New Guinean ladies married uh, in Papua New Guinea, and we still have contact with one of them. Uh, but, you know, uh, God just provided, and we moved from that house to another house. One year, Kathleen and I and the kids lived in 11 different places uh, because our, the house that we had as a YWAM base 
Uh, we had another family there that was from Australia, and they lived in the house. And so we moved from leave house to leave house. People would go on holidays on leave, and they didn't want to leave their houses empty. And so pack our suitcases, move to another house. Pack our suitcases, move wow. to another house uh, for a whole year before we were able to finally uh, kind of land in the YWAM base that is still now the, the YWAM base. A couple of things. You remember the scripture about uh, the, the story about finding the man of peace? You go to a place and you find the man of peace. And, and we, we had so many opportunities or plate times to see God providing the man of peace. Uh, when she went to China uh, with this team, uh, myself and another young Australian went to the Solomon Islands because we wanted to open up the doors to uh, send teams into the Solomon Islands, which are just neighboring islands from Papua New Guinea. And uh, so we arrived in Honiara in the Solomon Islands uh, with no place to stay. We knew we could get a hostel or a hotel, but we, you know, I'm sorry, we're still youth without any money, all right? <laughs> Uh, and, and we had enough to survive. We didn't have enough to buy a hotel. And so Tim and I decided that we were going to wait and ask the Lord to bring us a man of peace. So we're in Honiara, just off of the plain. We go down into the main place there. We have a couple names of pastors. We go and talk to a couple pastors. And then we're just sitting in this little market. I think we'd grab some lunch or something. And uh, this young man walked up and he started talking to us and we started talking to him. And he was, he was a Christian, a young, he probably was 25 years old or so, I don't know. And so as we talked to him, I felt the Lord say, this is your man of peace. Ask him if he has accommodation. So we ask him, yes, my mother, I live with my mother and she has a big house. You can come and stay with us. And so we went to his mother's big house, which was about this big. Uh, and he had two sisters. He lived with his two sisters, his mother, and they, ha they did have a, a, a stick built house. It wasn't a, a bush house. Uh, it wasn't real big, but it was big for him. And uh, they, uh, they just welcomed us. They just, she just threw her arms and she said, oh, you are so welcome. And so the man of peace provided a home for us for three days. Uh, and, and we weren't there for every meal, but we were there in the morning. And so we always had breakfast. The first morning we woke up, the girls were crying. And they were crying in such a commotion. What's wrong? And he, he, the, the young man told us, uh, Amy Grant died last night. What? No way. Yeah, Amy Grant died. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, Amy Grant's my sister's parrot. <laughs> so, not that, not that I, we were relieved that Amy Grant, that we know, hadn't passed away, but Amy Grant the parrot had passed away. So, the reason I, the reason for the story is, again, how God opens doors. One of our main objectives while we were there was to meet the Prime Minister, who we were told was a believer. And so we tried through official channels to go 
to the prime minister's office and asked for uh, an appointment. And they said, no, he's busy with the American ambassador this week. You will not see him this week. He's booked to the hilt. You can't see him. And so we thought, well, God, we felt like we were supposed to see him, so we're just going to leave it up to you. So we're in Haniara one evening um, before we go out to our Man of Peace house, and uh, we're sitting there talking to a bunch of young guys from one of the local churches who had really been interested in YWAM and what we were doing. And we were t- and now we had we during our our official day business we would wear uh, a nice shirt and slacks. Uh, but now we had gone home. We had changed into you know just a t-shirt and shorts, uh, flip flops. I don't know what you call them, sandals. Uh, and we're just sitting there talking to these guys, just just talking. And uh, we mentioned that we wanted to see the prime minister. You want to see the prime minister? What do you want to see him for? Well, we told him yada yada why we want to see him. We want to start bringing teams here, whatever. Come with us. So we jump in the back. They had this little Toyota Ute, a little Toyota pickup. And three of them jump in the front, and three or four of us jump in the back. And off we go. They're going down the streets of Honiara, and we come through this big fence compound. The gate was open. We walk, whip in there. We walk in a back door. We go up three three flights of stairs. They knock on the door. Come in. Guess whose office it was? The prime minister. Guess who was there? The prime minister. These guys all walked in, oh, Bill, or whatever his name was, how you doing? And they, you know, and, and he was dressed in a, uh, a, a black, like a safari suit, I don't know what else, you know, a black top, long jacket, pants. I mean, he was, he was dressed beautifully. I mean, the, he was a tall Solomon Islander with his black suit on, and here we walk in with our T-shirts and our, our shorts and our sandals, and these guys say, these two Americans want to meet you. They're with Youth with a Mission, Papua New Guinea. And this man, the most generous, gracious man, came and he said, I'm sorry I'm dressed the way I am. I had official business today. I'd much better be dressed like you guys are. (laughs) And we had the most wonderful meeting with the Prime Minister of Solomon Islands. Uh, it was just a, it was just a, uh, like he knew us and, and we had been friends forever. And he said, anything that Youth with a Mission wants to do here, this nation is, is, is wide open to you and I'll do anything I can do to facilitate teams coming, opening up bases here, whatever. Great meeting. Well, during our time there, we had run into a school of evangelism team that were there on outreach from Honolulu from the Honolulu YWAM base. There were about eight of them. And so we'd gotten to know them, and, and we'd crossed paths with them a few times uh, while we were there. And so we had organized with them to meet them at the International Hotel for lunch the last day we were going to be there. And so uh, we, we arrived, Tim and I arrive, and they're there, and we're talking, and, and uh we, we said, we told him the story about the prime, we've been trying to see the prime minister all week too and we couldn't get in, but you guys got to see him. That's amazing. Guess who pulls up in front of the hotel in his black limousine? The prime minister. 
he gets out of his car. We're standing like right there. And he went, oh, hi, David and Tim. How's it going, you guys? It's good to see you again. And he walks in, and these guys from Honolulu go, what has happened? This is unreal. But you know, again, if you're in the right place at the right time doing the right thing for the right purpose, God is going to open the doors for you to do what you're supposed to do. What his assignment is for you for that moment, he's going to provide a way for it to come to pass. Another real quick one, and then we'll stop for a break. I went into, I flew from Ley into uh, Misima, uh, which is a, a really one of the furthest islands to the east in, in Papua New Guinea. It's way out in the bush. It's actually where Jeff's mother is from. Uh, and we wanted to, again, we wanted to establish a contact there so we could send teams into Misima. We'd had no contact there at all, uh, except for we had uh, Jeff's mom, Clara, and we had a young lady, a gal on staff by the name of Patricia, and she was from Misima. And so she was really anxious for us to have teams go there to her place. So I flew to Misima. Flew to Port Moresby, got on a small little plane, uh, about an eight-passenger Cessna 402, whatever it is, uh, carries about six people. As I was walking out on the tarmac to the plane, there was this, uh, I want to say elderly, but since I'm kind of the same age he was at the time, <laughs> this young guy was walking out to the plane, and we started talking. And he said, uh, he introduced himself. He said, I'm so-and-so. I was a missionary in Missima for many years with the Wesleyan Church, Methodist Wesleyan Church. Uh, and I'm going back just a, a, a return visit. We've retired. We live in Australia now. Haven't been back there for many years, but we spent like 20-some-odd years in Missima as missionaries. And I said, well, I'm David Tabor. I'm with Youth with a Mission, and I'm going to Missima to just do some pioneering work and see if we can establish a presence in Missima. Got on the plane. Uh, as we landed, there were hundreds of people at the airport to greet this guy. And they had what they call a sing-sing. It it's a celebration. They had drums and beating, and they were all feathered up and, you know, all in their traditional dress. And they were welcoming this, this missionary back because he was their papa. He, he was you know, probably led most all, if not all of them, to the Lord. And uh, so uh, we, are, we arrive, and of course, the celebration is all about him, and they're singing and dancing and, and doing speeches, and uh, I'm just standing there watching, and here was this young uh, Papua New Guinean, uh, young, 40 years old, but he was dressed in a white shirt and a tie, so I knew he was a pastor, uh, because that's kind of the pastor uniform. Uh, and so we started talking, and he started telling me who this man was. And uh, he said, we're going to go up to the hostel, and we're going to have a, a welcome celebration there. And then we're, the hostel is providing this man with a, a large lunch. And then he'll be staying here for a few days. He said, do you want to ride up to the hostel? And so we jumped in the back of this ute, drove up to the hostel, and we're in the, a big quadrangle yard, uh, and they're doing their welcome, official welcoming speeches. The village chiefs and the government officials are welcoming this man back. And uh, 
they, uh, you know, it was just a lovely, lovely welcome. And I was just standing there just watching. And uh, when it was kind of over and they're ready to move in for a, uh, uh, for lunch, there's this voice, this lady that's back on the other side. And, uh, the, uh, and this voice came out and he, she said, and that's Brother Tabor. He's from Lay and he's with Youth with a Mission. And he went to my church in Lay. And I want you to know this is a good man. Who would have thought? <laughs> you know, who would have thought? I mean, it was just like so out of the blue. So I went into the, the hostel there and I said, I'd like to get a room. How much is it? It's 40 kina a night. I was going to be there three nights. Do the math, 120 kina. I had 40 kina in my pocket. That's it. Thought, oh, man, what am I going to do? So I said, well, I'll get back to you. I'll have to make a decision. So I went out and I talked to this young pastor and I said, is there any chance you have a place where I could stay? The man of peace. Uh, he befriended me initially. I didn't go up to him. He befriended me. He said, yeah, we live on the old mission compound where this man was a missionary, and we live in the missionary's house that was built for this man. And my wife and I live there, and we'd love to have you. So went in. Uh, and I was just, I was ready to go there, and, and the guy came out and said, no, we want you to come in and eat lunch with us. So I went in, ate lunch with them, had a lovely lunch. So we finished that, and so I go walk with this pastor. It was about a two-kilometer walk, a mile and a half, something like that, out to this mission compound. Uh, and, and their house, the missionary's house, was a big house, all right, a big house probably four or five bedrooms, because they hosted a lot of people. And so um, this pastor's wife was so happy to see me, and they had a, a foam mat they put on the floor in one of the bedrooms, and I stayed there for three days with them. Uh, and I told them that uh, I, I could pay them something. No, 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 no. I said, well, at least let me buy, buy food. So we went to the market, and we bought food, you know, so I was providing, you know, helping them out. So I had a list of about five people that I wanted to see. One of them was an evangelist that was very instrumental in, in evangelism in Missima, and a government official and a couple of significant pastors. Had no idea where they were, so I started asking this guy, well, the evangelist is far on the, clear on the other end of the island, and he's not due back for another week or two. So you probably won't get to see him. Uh, but we can probably make arrangements to see the other people. So the very first morning, I'm thinking, all right, I've got to, I've got to do this. And it was all going to be by Shanks Pony. Do you guys know what Shanks Pony is? By foot, like Paul did, and Barnabas and all of those guys. They did all Shanks Pony. They did, they walked, and so it was all going to be walking. So here we are at this mission compound, and all of a sudden, in drives the district officers brand new Toyota Cruiser vehicle. Uh, and in it was the missionary and the provisional, provisional governor, the, the island, the government official that was over that area. It was his high, uh, uh, Toyota vehicle. Oh, David, how you doing? Fine, how are you? Good. We're getting ready to go up the north side of the island today and, uh, you know, just greeting people. Why don't you come along with us? It's better than walking. And so I jumped in this air-conditioned, brand-new Toyota uh, 
land cruiser vehicle, and off we go, and we do about eight villages that day up the one coast. Wow, wow. Every village has a whole celebration. Every village has a full meal. Every village fills you full of orange cordial or like tang, all right? And every village presents him with gifts. Well, because I'm with him, they present me with gifts. I mean, and I was really trying to take a back seat to because this was his parade. It wasn't mine. But we spend the whole day, and I get to see people, pastors, that I would never even known existed. And, and so we, we do this whole trek the one day. And so we get back to the compound that night where I'm staying. He said, we're going up the other side tomorrow. You want to go with us? I said, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I'm game. So the next day we went up the other side of the island. Same thing. Every place was a full meal, gifts, singing, presentations, whatever. And it was, it was crazy. But again, I got to meet pastors that I would never have ever met. So we finished this whole, we finished this whole trip. We get back to the, the mission compound. Uh, the missionary guy was only going to be there the couple days. So he was leaving the next day. And so we get back to the mission compound and he said, David, I'm really concerned, or I'm really curious, why is the Lutheran mission wanting to come and establish a base here in Missima? This is Methodist territory. I said, Lutheran mission? Why do you say Lutheran? Well, he said in Port Moresby, you said you were with the Lutheran mission. I said, no, I said I'm with youth with a mission. <laughs> All of a sudden... All of the wind went out of our little balloon. And I was all of a sudden the enemy. For the Lutheran mission to come was okay, although it wasn't Lutheran territory. And there, there's a real territorial thing in Papua New Guinea. Not as much as it used to be, but it used to be divided into four territories. Lutheran, Catholic, Anglican, and Methodist. And never the twain shall meet. Never and they had their boundaries, totally boundaries, until the Foursquares and the AOGs and the ECC, you know, all of these different, and they didn't care about boundaries. But anyway, that's a whole other story. That's a history story. All of a sudden, we were, we were polar opposite because he had no interest in youth with a mission coming to his place. So basically, he got in and left. But I thought, God, you knew this all along. I didn't lie to him. You knew it all along. And then the young pastor that I'm staying with comes and says, David, the evangelist, we just got word he's coming in on a ship tonight. He was not supposed to be back for another week. He'll be in, in, uh, in port tomorrow. And so you'll be able to see him. So in three days, I got to see every person I needed to see, I wanted to see, plus all the pastors up the coast. And as I was walking down the trail one day, here comes this man, and this young pastor said, oh, here comes Nabakalea. That's Patricia's father. This is the young lady that was on staff with us in Lay. And her father had come in out of the village that day, and we just happened to be on the same path at the same time.
Okay. Let's let's stop. We need to we need to stop and take but a break. Need, but you do need to hear what that trip has since done to the entire nation of Papua New Guinea. He'll tell you the story. It'll be a short one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it was nice of him because he just laid the foundation for all of what we're going to share next. And we will share as fast as we can, but I'm trying to be sure and give my kids, <laughs> my grandkids, my great-grandkids on down, on, on down, some more information. Um, my, our initial introduction to Papua New Guinea, as I said, was doing the lineup work for the Anastasis. Um and I had, as I told you, absolutely no interest in sailing, being on a ship. But I also, in working, doing the lineup work for the ship ministry, realized the absolute significance of a ship ministry in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Papua New Guinea uh, is an island nation. It has many, many hundreds of miles of coastline. It has many, many hundreds of islands. And many of these islands are totally remote and they don't get the services that uh, you would normally get in the, in the mainland part of Papua New Guinea. Uh, so the ship ministry was always on my heart. Uh, and the whole, my whole 14 years in Papua New Guinea was working towards seeing uh, a ship ministry being established in Papua New Guinea. Um, we, we hosted uh, a couple times uh, the Dulos, which is Operation Mobilization's ship. Uh, OM operates two ships, the Logos and the Dulos, and uh, we helped host them twice in, in Papua New Guinea. Uh, one memorable time for me was they invited me to come on board and teach um, one, this one particular evening to their staff and to all the YOMers or whatever. Uh, and so the boat, the ship was tied up at dock. I got on the ship and immediately realized that if I didn't sit down, I was not going to be able to, I was turning green just being on it because it was, you know, doing this <laughs> like ships do. Ships are supposed to do that. Uh, so anyway, I, I went to the, we were out on the deck and I, I went to the bulkhead, the wall, and I just leaned against it and I just slid down. I said, if you guys want to hear what I got to say, you got to sit down because I got to sit down because I'm not going to make it if I don't. <laughs> but the ship ministry and seeing it established in Papua New Guinea was, was a, uh, a real uh, desire on my heart. Uh, I was in contact, direct contact with David Cowie. Uh, David is still the head of, of uh, or part of the Mercy Ships, the YWAM Mercy Ships Ministry, based out of New Zealand. And uh, he said, we want to get a ship to Papua New Guinea. We want Papua New Guinea to have their own ship to do, you know, the ministry there. Uh, I traveled to Alatau, which is not quite as far as Misima, but it's still right on the very tip of Papua New Guinea, if you look on the map. It's Papua New Guinea's kind of a triangle, and right on the very tip is Alatau. Uh, and uh, I traveled down there, and uh, there had been made aware to us that there was a, a, a shipbuilding ministry there that was no longer operating, but they had a dock, and they had facilities, and 
they were interested in possibly this becoming part of a ship ministry. So I went down, looked at it, and it was like, wow, this is really great. Uh, I, I really hope something would eventuate. Now, this is this is toward the latter years of us being in Papua New Guinea. It wasn't in the initial stages. Um, and Kathleen and I had committed ourselves to, to Papua New Guinea. We had told our family, if we happen to die here, just bury us here. Don't take us home. This is where we want to stay. Uh, we were we were in for the long haul. We had no plans of 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 leaving, not at all, uh, until God said it's time to go home. It was hard for us. It really was a difficult difficult decision. But one of the hardest things was God spoke to us in early January of 1997 that we were to go home, and He gave us reasons, and we accepted those reasons individually but almost the same day Um, and it was not a week later that David Cowie called me and says David we have a ship it's been given to us and it's coming to Papua New Guinea and it belongs to YWAM Papua New Guinea Uh, I uh, my heart was and Luke would just say and sometimes when you pray for something you pray for it you may get an answer, but it not necessarily the answer that you were expecting. And so it's like I said, David, God has called us to leave. And he said, well, if you leave, the ship's not coming because I will not allow it to come up unless you're there because you, you, this has been your vision, your heart, and we've got to have somebody that will, you know, run with the vision. And so I said, well, I'm sorry, but we're, we're leaving We'll be leaving in a couple months. So it's like the answer to prayer and the death of a vision was all in the same day. But it was it was the it was the foundations that were laid from the very beginning in nineteen eighty three with the Anastasis with the government. With with prayer and even locating this place in Alatal that now the ship ministry, YWAM Mercy Ships ministry is, Papua New Guinea is like their main port. Yeah. And they have a established place in Port Moresby. Uh, they have the place in Alatal. Uh, and and it's, all, it's all come to fruition. Wow. But it wasn't, it wasn't mine to have it come to fruition. It was ours and, and many others to lay foundations and to, to, to cover the prayer, just like you're doing with these Jesus rallies. Lay the foundations. Do what you're called to do right now. Don't, don't, don't all of a sudden be thinking, wow, next year we can get a bigger tent and, and, and we can do a hundred of these and it's going to just, just take care of today. Take care of today. Because when the time comes for it to, to maybe even be taken out of your hands, and, and given to a, a, a broader base or a broader group of people that can do more than you could ever do. YWAM Ships out of Australia, uh, out, of, out of Townsville, has, has done more than, than we could ever have done. And I don't know, maybe some of you have been on some of the, the ships' uh, ministry. Tara, Jeff and Megan's oldest, uh, was with the ship ministry on her outreach in, in Papua New Guinea. So, you know... 
A lot of times God lets us lay the foundations. He lets us have the good idea. That was my idea. But it's not ours to bring to fruition or completion. Sometimes he allows us to, but not. Uh, don't always guarantee that it will. I got to fill in the other part because we got more. To, there was something else that God did simultaneously. There's a guy who was prime minister at the time we lived there. He's today the patron of the YWAM ships in PNG. And we had amazing encounters with him through the King's Kids Ministries. Through a, I went into his office personally one day with the word of the Lord. And at that time, I sure didn't imagine what would come out of it. And God absolutely did innumerable things to bring together a ministry and a nation that would change the world through those through those ministry opportunities. Wow. And so God told us from day one, cry out to me. Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things for you don't know, and he did. But what's that one about the nations? Call unto me and I was the nations. Call unto, uh, I've written a book about it. What's the name of my book? I'm sorry, I got things going through my head. Call unto me and I will show, give you the nations as your inheritance. And so he he did. He gave us, that was part of our, the nation was part of our inheritance. And if you don't believe me, look over there and see my inheritance. He literally put the nation into my bloodline. Literally. And so know that what we're teaching you today is not just a future and hope. We've been able to live, thank God we've been able to live this long to this place. And I just want to talk real quickly about King's Kids there. Because we started King's Kids in Hawaii as, uh, with our own kids. So we, you know, kind of got the DNA of that ministry starting. And God began to show us the healing of families, how he wanted us to help them repair three generations and buy back their own inheritance. And then how we were to take outreaches around the world and give them opportunity to claim nations. And many of them have stayed in those nations. And then that brought us into an amazing opportunity. And that's one thing I want to tell you about. I was invited, there was one time in PNG when I went, I became quite quite an intercessor there. Only I didn't know what one, one was. And uh, I kept seeing this it was, it was not the vision, like sometimes you have an open vision or you actually see a vision, but he kept showing me little blips, pictures of children being used in pornography. And I was horrified. I mean, I, I don't like those things. But I was getting a real burden for these kids. And so finally, I went to the head of import-export there and I was telling him, because I knew he was a Christian, I was telling him what I was seeing. And he said, Kathleen, don't, you shut up about what you're seeing. I said, oh, I don't have any fear. I could tell anybody. He said, shut up. You're old. You have a house full of girls. They're after your inheritance. They don't want you. He said, shut your mouth. You pray for God to open the door for you to speak what you've seen. 
Well, I totally underestimated God. Again, what you imagine, what you envision, Luke's wisdom is so right. Don't lift yourself up. Trust God. God can take you into the right place at the right time. About three years later, a brand new uh, newspaper came into P&G. And on their front page was the, the uh, Interpol, International Police, had warned P&G about the number of pornographic stuff coming out of the nation with children, child pornography, and they warned them, you better get your act together. The international police, I didn't have a kind of authority. That was amazing. <laughs> and the same day, within a couple of days, the prime minister's office called me. And you got to realize, our King's Kids team, at one point for about three years in a row, we had the largest King's Kids teams in the world, in the YWAM world, going out of PNG to the nations. And the prime minister's office, so when we would take teams out, the prime minister, the national newspapers, the national uh, TV stations, national radio, everybody followed us to the airports, sometimes even in nations. We, the number one recording star from PNG was assigned to one of our teams. He was a lovely guy, and he'd made a huge hit record. So we we were we we got notoriety to give God a voice. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Not to not please. God will raise you up, but don't imagine it's because of you or for you. It's because of Him and for Him. So don't don't miss that. Please hear what Luke's saying. He's trying to protect you so you can keep going on. If you haven't watched the movie David, put it on by sight and sound. David lost the plot because he got enamored with himself. Don't. Don't keep your eyes on you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Anyway, so we, oh, where was I? Please. Yes, the prime minister called me. Thank you. And he asked me, he said, the net, the, uh, it's a world, what's a world organization? The national, they've called the Day of Children, UNICEF, had called the Day of Children. And he said, you're the most known voice for kids in the nation. I want to host you tomorrow and have you as speaker to every prime minister, all the members of parliament, all the, member, all the uh, ambassadors to the, from the nations. I want you to come and speak. And the media is going to be there. You, I want you to come speak for the kids of Papua New Guinea. The day before, a brand new newspaper that had never ministered in the nation happened to be raised up and the front page just happened to give statistics. Everything I'd seen and prayed over for like seven years, they wrote out. I could go there with their information, their statistics, and tell and talk to all of them as, as straight as I talk to you. I said, well, if you want me to be a voice for the kids, I'm not going to flatter anybody. Listen to me. And I talk to them straight. As people, as people who are guarding this nation, 
and impacting this nation and leading this nation, I challenge you, you get on your face and first thing you repent for what's going out of this nation. You cry out for your own babies. They're your future. You cry out for God's grace. The next day it was reported in the nation that I said we had some of the most fun outreaches in the world. But I spoke to enough people, I presume, by God's mercy. He would turn things around. But God gave me an opportunity to speak truth and speak life. And I think God knows. God knows who you are. God knows the day. He, he raised you up. There's a very first prophecy I ever got in my whole life. was Jeremiah chapter 1. And please go read the word God said. I knew you before you were born. I raised you up. I, he gave you a voice to the nations. And so God's done it. Why hasn't done it? They didn't give you a voice. They're trying to train you how to use it. My own family many times has wished I'd go away. My darling dad. Man, I scared the dog out of him so many times. We went to nations and he was raised in Virginia. And we made into the black community. We first had a black child. My dad, bless his heart, I confronted everything he'd been raised in his whole life to be careful of. And he came to be so grateful. He was so touched. But God sent me to Bethel, and God showed me how to minister to my dad. And I came home. He was in a kind of semi-coma. He came to God. And I think, no, and God used that time for me to tell him how much I honored him, how much I loved him, how much he had blessed God. I said, Daddy, all your life I've seen you work hard to try to please God. And the whole time you were doing it. And you missed the opportunity to rejoice with God. What he'd done through you. Cause you and you guys, that's what Luke's trying to tell you. Don't be so busy waiting for God's approval. Please. God loves you just, I'm watching, I'm watching the scene. Gosh, come on. How much better picture can God give you his heart Loving his kids and the one walking right behind me. It blows me away, God's favor in this place. You get to see family life. You get to see pregnant gals. You get to see nursing mothers. You get to see husbands getting on the knees, pulling out the pacifier. What a, what a marvelous picture we're getting of just what we're saying. And you know each other. You know the worst and the best of each other. And I think that's what's a nice thing about marriage. If someone's in deep water in marriage and they're looking really unlovely, go to God. Don't go to them. Don't put pressure on them. Because they, they can perform. And thank God for God. But we really did see the, we saw the government change. And they did invite the ships in. We saw the ships come to fruition. We saw the families get to change. We got to be part of it. We got to bring some home so we get the joy of the cultural expression that they have in our midst. P&G has a real gift, like David said, in sing-sings and celebration. 
and our family. You should, you should hear my 12 granddaughters sing our 12 granddaughters sing together. They are incredible. They are spectacular. I don't have words. You don't have, you don't have a paradigm for how good they are. One of them is brilliant. She's on Integrity Music and the Aracona YWAM. She's on this big album. And she, they are. Oh, I, I didn't. I didn't get to the. I know. I haven't even gotten to the boys yet. I just talked about the girls. We have seven, seven grandsons, and they're spectacular as well. And many of them, they sing with us at family gatherings, and they're glorious too. But they got other gifts that are just as glorious. But really, you'll never know the joy of what God can do until you do lay down your life. And don't expect, don't expect the world's accolades to be the things that please you. Trust God, please. There were a lot of riots uh, in Layer in Papua New Guinea while we were there. What causes a riot? Whatever. Nothing. Something. You get a crowd stirred up and, and, and they can kind of go crazy. Uh, and it seems to happen, or it did happen quite often when we were in Papua New Guinea. Anyway, there was this one particular uh, morning. Uh, there was quite a, a grapevine in, in, in lay, particularly amongst the expatriate community. Uh, if there were going to be any problems or whatever, you'd get a phone call, don't go to town today. Uh, there's going to be a riot, you know, probably better stay home. Um, for for quite a quite a few months, I won't say years. Uh, maybe if you add them all together, it could be years. Uh, we were under curfew, uh, where we couldn't go out before six in the morning. You had to be home by six at night, uh, just because of the the lawlessness. Uh, but this one particular day, we'd gotten word that there were going to be riots in downtown Lay. I was having a quiet time, and I felt the Lord tell me, you have to go and be, go, and be right in the middle of it. Uh, and so we came up, got together for breakfast. The Lord had spoken to Kathleen the same thing, uh, that we were supposed to go down to the center of town where the riots were supposed to be. Uh, another Australian single guy was sensing the same thing, uh, and, and uh, another single American lady and a, one of our PNG staff. And so the five of us got in our vehicle and we drove downtown. And as we got to town, um, we parked in front of the bank where we banked and all the bank employees were fle fleeing really out. Don't go downtown, you guys. Don't go downtown. But we had um, we had marching orders. God told us to go to the center of where the riot was. And so <laughs> here we go, you know, walking into the, I, I shouldn't even say that because there was no fear in our hearts. We knew where we were supposed to be. So we, this little group, this little band of YWAMers went right down. The There was a half a dozen police vehicles parked here. Um, and <clears throat> the police there are not normally, uh, they usually don't carry a weapon, but if they do, it's it's a like an M79 grenade launcher or an M16 or an AK-47. I mean, you know, a nine millimeter Glock is is kind of like now why, why bother? Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, um, they were there. They were loaded for bear. 
in, in front of them and in front of us were probably 5,000 people, and they were angry. They were ready to, and, and a riot there, they would just storm through the city. And they would break every window, they would trash cars, they would loot, and it would be kind of like a, a flock of locusts, flock of locusts, herd of locusts, a swarm of locusts, you know. They weren't, they weren't doing anything other than, I mean, it, it was just, they would go through, and once they were through town, it would be kind of like it's over, you know. But anyway, um, <clears throat> we, we, just, we were just there, and all these people were in front of us, and they were angry, and the police were standing there at ready. And I just looked at the, the people, and as loud as I could, because almost every single person in Papua New Guinea, whether they're from the city or from a village, have at some point in time, not everybody's heard the gospel, but most all of them, especially the ones in lay in the city, have been baptized at one point or another. They've been to church, they've heard the gospel, whether they've responded or not. And to tell the truth, a lot of them there were probably born-again Christians. But it was a riot, man. It was something to do. Let's go. So, and I, that's where I, that was that was where the Lord told me to take. And I said, almost all of you here have been baptized. And you've heard the gospel, and you know who Jesus is. And you know that what you're planning on doing today is not right. And you need to turn around and go home because this is not where you're supposed to be. It's a not, you know, it's not a righteous good thing to do. It's not a godly thing to do, and you need to go home. Kathleen had her First of all, when he talked, every one of those guys took their hats off. They stood, they put their hats down, and they put their heads down. And that was an incredible act. No defiance. So, now go ahead. So, anyway, each one of us had something to say. Yeah. We all prayed for and, and And, and we, we, as we were standing there, there were a few rocks thrown. But when we finished, the crowd turned around and dispersed. There was not, there was not a, a, a window broken. There was not a vehicle trashed. The, and we told the police, please do not, because a lot of times they'll react, you know, and, and shoot somebody or whatever, which, you know, in, infuriates people. And we just said, please, just, just be patient. Don't, don't do anything. They're leaving. And people just, within 10 or 15 minutes, the whole crowd was gone. And, and nothing happened. And, you know, again, the right place at the right time, doing the right thing for the right reason, God is going to be right there. I think one of the most inspiring stories is when the ship finally was going to come to PNG, and David and Kathleen had already planned to leave to move back to America when he got the call that the ship was coming. David, he had worked for years to prepare the way for the ship. He was faithful to respond in obedience to what he sensed God leading him to do. And now there is long-term impact and fruit that they'll probably never see in their lifetime. That's incredible. He literally labored and did the work and followed the Lord in obedience and prepared the way. He had no idea the timing, but he prepared the way for the ship to come. And now that is a very, very large ministry in PNG for the people there. 
And that, that is a movement guys. God gets all the credit. That is a movement where we follow in obedience and God gets all the credit. Now you might be called to start a movement or join and serve a movement, but what you can always count on is when you act in obedience and trust God, that the movement will go far beyond just your story. It'll carry on through generations. It becomes someone else's story and it has generational impact. A movement directed and led by God will not fizzle out and will change the world. I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. David and Kathleen Tabor are such a blessing to our YWAM community and we couldn't wait and, and just had to share their stories to a larger group of people, really hoping that God would impart something and uh, sort of a stirring and a conviction, an itch in the spirit of all who listen to join and start a movement. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Where's the Movement podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Find the movement near you.